Hello, welcome to Divinitas. I'm Father Marcus Holden, and this is a podcast to explore ideas of faith, culture, and life from a Catholic perspective. I hope you can tune in regularly. Hello, welcome to Divinitas. This is our first episode, and it's the 21st of March, Saturday in 2020. It is an ominous day because around us we have the coronavirus. The churches are in lockdown, therefore we have masses but without people across this land, the first time ever. And many people are suffering through illness. Um, Some have died and we pray for them and we give support to those who mourn them. Many people also are in social distancing and self-isolation situations. So we feel that this uh, podcast, Divinitas, can be a way of transmitting the gospel, giving a bit of light and a bit of hope during this period. Divinitas will discuss many areas of faith and culture and life, but today we're going to focus on the coronavirus and how we see our way through it. The gospel is not in lockdown, and this time of challenge gives us an opportunity to share the gospel using digital means, and we're using whatever we can at this time, which is encouraging. Many people are doing initiatives like this one, Divinitas. Today, in this episode, I'm going to have a conversation with Brendan Thompson, the CEO of Catholic Voices, and we're going to be talking about seeing the meaning uh, for Christians and Catholics during this time of the coronavirus and some practical ideas uh, that can help us rise the challenge and see it as a, a time of opportunity. Um, and then I will speak to Amber Gaffney, uh, who co-authored with me several years ago a book called Faith in the Family. And she's going to give us some ideas of what families can do in this time together to keep their faith alive and to keep hope. I hope you stay tuned in. Hello, I have uh, Brendan Thompson on the line here with me. Hello, Brendan. Hi, Father Marcus. Good to be with you. Yes, good to speak with you. And just before we... um, have a little chat could you tell us about uh the work you do with catholic voices yeah sure catholic voices was uh, set up to improve the church's media representation for the papal visit in 2010 so our job is to try and help catholics particularly lay catholics to share the church's story to to see controversial questions that people ask as an opportunity to share the church's story and so we've been quite busy in these uh in these few days we've been trying to think of what does all of this new controversy, in a sense, like what opportunities are there? It's not an opportunity we would have wished upon ourselves, but I think it's quite an apostolic time. So how do we see it in that way, have that mindset, and so try to to help people as best we can to, to be evangelistic? Yes, we're surrounded by an immense challenge. First day of the lockdown for churches, no masses today anywhere in England, which is unprecedented. And there are a lot of people at the moment isolated, having to live with social distancing. We've got people who are sick at various levels, and some people have died in this in this land, and some Catholics as well. And so we're trying to support those who mourn. 
how do we interpret this story? How do we interpret the signs of the times uh, for us today in 2020? Yeah, I'd, uh, I think the first is probably an acknowledgement of, of the grief. I think we need to grieve, you know, not being able to get to Mass. We need to grieve, you know, that for many of us receiving the sacraments will be, you know, next to impossible. And and in a sense, I, this, this times of crisis, I was in the supermarket earlier and I just thought, you know, I, I, how much I've taken for granted even going to the supermarket and buying something. Um, and what I've noticed even from that experience is that times of crisis like this tend to bring out the best and the worst of humanity. So I guess our job as Christians is to try and be salt and light, to try and be leaven. How do we help bring out the best of people? Because it won't, it won't be easy. We need the grace of God and, and real act of the will. The, all of these testing forces, for some people, will be very, very isolated at home and it will test their patience. It will test their you know, it would test their sense of fear and, and, and test their resolve. But for some, there'll be lots of family around and trying to balance and juggle work as, as well as having all the family and, you know, kind of work and home life smashed together. So many people be overwhelmed and lots of people just sense of fear and anxiety of not knowing what the future holds. So, yeah, the roads, the road ahead is 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 not clear. And I, I noticed two different kinds of interpretations that people have. For some, they just see it as a biological matter, an accident that's happened, and we've just got to make the best of it and live through it. Um, for others, they try to find a meaning in it, but sometimes go too far in, in seeing it only in a spiritual way, that it's somehow a punishment or a curse upon us. Uh, and I think between those two extremes, that there's a a properly Catholic and Christian vision of all this and that there is providence in it. Yeah, it's the kind of classic Catholic both and, isn't it? It's kind of grace and nature. And one of the things I'm really wrestling with is is what what is God trying to say to us through this situation? You know, 2020 has been a <laughs> an interesting sort of year, really, with a kind of toxicity and division of Brexit. And then, of course, we've had this kind of pandemic, which is kind of slowly gripping the world and putting us into an unprecedented, unique situation. And of course, we've got the rededication next next week that England's being rededicated as the Dowry of Mary. And all of these things, I'm sure, are providential and God is trying to say something. And I think it's got something to do with the message of Walsingham, you know, to share my joy. How can we be joyful in the midst of crisis? Yes, this is going to be a big theme running through this week uh, and through to next week's uh, uh, mass when we 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 do the rededication around that. Um, the gospel uh, for this Sunday uh, on this Laetare Sunday, which uh, interestingly is uh, Rejoice Sunday, um, is, is about Jesus meeting the blind the blind man and healing him at the the uh, and. The disciples ask the question, why is he born blind? And uh, they say, is it because of his sin or his parents' sin? And they're trying to understand everything through that lens. And it's interesting. I've been praying about it, preparing for tomorrow. That Jesus says it was neither for uh, for his sin nor his parents. And that throws them a little bit. He says, but he was born blind so that the works of God could be made manifest. And maybe it, it's saying to us in this time of challenge and all the difficulties, uh, the works of God can be more manifest, that 
uh, while we're locked down, it doesn't mean the gospel is locked down. Mm. I'm only just, as you say, appreciating the irony of Leitari Sunday being the first Sunday we're not going to have mass that I guess it keys in again to that kind of joy. Um, how can we will joy in this time like the man at the side of the man born blind? How do we not get distracted with the ephemeral? How do we not get sucked into either negativity or pessimism, the kind of fear and isolation, the kind of dark places that that could take us? And see this, as you're saying, with new eyes, with the eyes of faith, um, you know, not over spiritualizing it, a kind of honest appraisal of, of the situation. Yeah, that's that's the challenge. And I guess we all have our part to play. I'm no biologist and, you know, I'm not a great spiritual master. In fact, I think probably we need to start learning from the church's great tradition when it comes to, you know, the monks and the friars and the, and the nuns who have, you know, are spiritual masters in self-isolation, particularly contemplatives. I wonder if there's a creative way of bringing their wisdom into this this whole experience. I, I think I think definitely that that's something we can we can bring into this and it, I see it very much as an opportunity, uh, not merely as, as, as something that's, that's negative, that um, while we may um, be, feel isolated, God is very near to us. And I think it's important that that message comes across for, for people who maybe feel dislocated from the church. The church is still there uh, and present for them. And God is still present in their lives. Mm. Because I guess, like I guess, as I was first saying, if these situations can bring out the best and the worst of humanity from a faith perspective, it can either, you know, strengthen our resolve spiritually kind of through a time of trial and testing, or it can weaken our spiritual life. Um, John Henry Newman had this lovely one line, he used to say, growth is the only evidence of life. So, you know, how do you evidence something's vitality? It grows. So, Again, we, I guess we need to, to see that as an opportunity, not only for ourselves in terms of our own spiritual growth. Conversion starts from, you know, the conversion of the world starts with the conversion of the one. And how do we see the opportunities and, you know, ask people those, those spiritual questions like how are you how are you finding isolation? And, you know, how do I notice the Christians on my Facebook and, and, and various social media accounts deal with this differently? I think we have resources as Christians that you know the kind of secular world doesn't have you know you can rely on kind of civic hope and let's get through this together but there's so much wisdom in the church so i think we, we, there's a real chance to to be witnesses here particularly digitally yes and uh, i know you're very interested in, in uh, spreading the gospel using the new media do you think there's a, a great opportunity now um with with this uh, situation that we can we can grow in our use of it as Catholics and Christians uh, for the good of the gospel and for evangelization. Yeah, and I mean, even before this, I would have said, you know, the the digital things are not the the be all and end all; they're, they're kind of secondary in a sense. But there is there's certainly a focus been put on them in these days. I have lots of priests and and lay workers calling me up and asking about live streaming, about videos and. You know, because in a sense, even though there's good live streams out there, people do want to have contact with a familiar face. People want to see their their priest. And so what we do technologically in these days and leveraging these opportunities will be really um, significant. I, from Catholic Voices thing, I'm trying to find new and innovative ways, you know, doing webinars, doing live streams, just anything that can kind of combat that sense of isolation and this build a sense of communion, of connectedness, 
you know that's the best aspect i guess the the, the best face of, of of the new media which is this, this aspect to to build connection particularly as people are feeling more and more isolated and i hope that this will all have a, a lasting legacy in the church uh, in a positive way um this is what we're trying to do with these podcasts now with, with divinitas and uh, i'm really pleased that you could come and speak to us today i hope you you can call in again through these days hopefully there won't be uh, so many of them but uh, we will we'll try and get you back again on uh, on a variety of topics but just before we go um could, just one bit of practical advice for for people who may be listening to this yeah practical advice there is so many great apostolates with great resources releasing them for free at the moment in order to try and support Catholics. So you talk about the kind of long-lasting effects of this. I hope one of the long-lasting or the kind of fruit of this this time of trial will be that people will get into a regular, you know, kind of uh, liturgy of life, so to speak. So can you find an hour in your day to watch a video from and one of these resources and, and we will try and put out links of, of different things that are out there but you know to say watch a video to pray to find some quiet and and some silence um, not just isolation but purposeful silence to really kind of find that place of interiority we're in a really busy world so I think the most practical advice really is let's do silence well and all of these other resources all of these digital means they're all secondary because they're trying to make space for that interiority for that divine intimacy if all of this media stuff can help us to do that the most practical thing i would say is be silent yes thank you brendan and um i really appreciate you coming and and for your words today and uh, coming up next on the podcast will be um some um, passages from the book the power of silence by uh, Robert Cardinal Seurat. Uh, so stay tuned. Thank you very much. This is an extract from the book The Power of Silence by Robert Cardinal Seurat against the dictatorship of noise. From chapter one, silence versus the world's noise. God carries us and we live with him at every moment by keeping silence. Nothing will make us discover God better than his silence inscribed in the center of our being. If we do not cultivate this silence, how can we find God? Man likes to travel, create, make great discoveries, but he remains outside of himself, far from God, who is silently in his soul. I want to recall how important it is to cultivate silence in order to be truly with God. St. Paul, drawing on the book of Deuteronomy, explains that we will not encounter God by crossing the seas because he is in our heart. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead? But what does the law say? The word is near you, on your lips and in your heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach. Because 
if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Through sacred scripture, when it is listened to and meditated upon in silence, divine graces are poured out on man. It is in faith and not by traveling in distant lands or by crossing seas and continents that we can find and contemplate God. Actually, it is through long hours of poring over sacred scripture, after resisting all the attacks of the prince of this world, that we will reach God. Unless silence dwells in man, and unless solitude is a state in which he allows himself to be shaped, the creature is deprived of God. There is no place on earth where God is more present than in the human heart. This heart truly is God's abode, the temple of silence. No prophet ever encountered God without withdrawing into solitude and silence. Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist encountered God in the great silence of the desert. Today, too, monks seek God in solitude and silence. I am speaking not just about geographical solitude or movement, but about an interior state. It is not to be quiet either. It is necessary to become silence. For even before the desert, the solitude and the silence, God is already in man. The true desert is within us, in our soul. Strengthened with this knowledge, we can understand how silence is indispensable if we are to find God. The Father waits for his children in their own hearts. It is necessary to leave our interior turmoil in order to find God. Despite the agitations, the busyness, the easy pleasures, God remains silently present. He is in us like a thought, a word, and a presence whose secret sources are buried in God himself, inaccessible to human inspection. Solitude is the best state in which to hear God's silence. For someone who wants to find silence, solitude is the mountain that he must climb. If a person isolates himself by going to a monastery, he comes first to seek silence. And yet the goal of his search is within him. God's silent presence already dwells in his heart. The silence that we pursue confusedly is found in our own hearts and reveals God to us. That is an extract from The Power of Silence, a book by Robert Cardinal Sarah against the dictatorship of noise. Hello, I'm joined now by uh, Anne Burke Gaffney, who's um, has MA in Christian spirituality and is a lecturer also in pharmacology a few years ago uh, i wrote a book with Anne called faith in the family and i think it's very important at this time to talk about how families can keep the faith when there's all this social distancing and many people are in isolation so welcome Anne. Uh, good to uh, i'm glad you could call in thank you good to speak to you and um welcome to this podcast on divinitas and um, how, how are things with your family at the moment? Is everything well? Good, thank you, Father Marcus. 
really good well. good and what are you doing in this in this situation is are you are you all in uh, having to experience this social distancing as well and the are you locked down a little bit fairly much but of course my husband's a doctor so obviously he's going in regularly to the hospital and he's on call this weekend yes yeah, so you you have you're very much at the front line in that sense of, of things yeah uh, and so we keep you in our prayers with with, with all of that it's so important and I know that you have been trying to uh, develop a prayer initiative connected with the rosary could you tell us a little bit about that during this time yes we've been encouraging all catholic families to try to uh, take up the habit if they're not doing it already of saying the family rosary at some time every night a uh, friend who've tried it have all agreed with me that feeding children first is probably the best thing or even adults first and maybe yes. saying it after meal time and and so uh, that's a, that that's a, a very good bit of practical advice. And while people may be bereft of the mass, and that's going to be really hard because it's the centre of our of our our faith life, there may be a renewal of the rosary perhaps in this time amongst families and the family rosary, which has been uh, waning in many places in recent years. Yeah, I think I mean this is I think it's absolutely imperative that we say the rosary at this time. If you're in the habit of saying it, great. If not, there are simple ways to start. There are plenty of books or resources online that you can look up if you're not familiar with the rosary. If you've got young children, quite a nice way to familiarise them with actually learning the mysteries of the rosary is writing them all out, write all 15 out, and then getting them to put them, sort them into the correct groups. That's one quite nice way with young children or even older children. So that's one part, getting them um, familiar with the mysteries of the rosary. And then starting to say it, if, if the whole rosary is too much, just maybe saying one decade. But if you're perhaps just with one other family member, just even that is important to say the rosary together. If you can say the whole rosary, fantastic. Um, one nice thing um, to do then is for each decade is to take a different intention. So maybe... For, we, we often start globally and we start with the world, then the country, then the family, then healthcare workers. And we pick a different theme for each decade of the rosary. So that, that can make it very, very real and very live. Um, uh, and certainly with, 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 with your husband going to very much as a doctor to, to the hospital, you can, you can be praying about those things too and, and family members. Um, is there anything else you'd recommend to people um, at this time, what they can do at home? Because they're, they're, we do feel there's a real danger that if people aren't going to school where they have prayers and not going to mass, where there is that, that, that connection with prayer, that things could easily wane and faith could dissipate, especially if they, this goes on for many weeks. So I, prayer in the family is going to be so important. What else would you recommend? Well, two other um, areas I think are really, really important. Uh, remembering the guardian angel prayer, remembering that we all have a guardian angel and getting into the habit ourselves and encouraging our children to say the guardian angel prayer when you wake up in the morning, say it last thing at night. And also, if you have to go out during the day, you need to go out or go to the shops, just say, talk to your guardian angel, say, you know, I've got to go out now, keep me safe at this time and bring me home safely. So that's a really simple thing, but really powerful. With again, you know, it doesn't matter what age children are, I think they can really connect to saying the guardian angel prayer. 
so that's think, one 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 thought I would have. I think that's a very very helpful one because also children they're going to pick up on the, a little bit of the climate of fear and mm-hmm. people being uh, afraid of going out, afraid of of being near others, and so to give them that sense that God is with them that even though they might be a bit isolated, God is not distant from them or dislocated from them. And the power of his, uh, his angels is with them. I think that uh, can be very, very helpful, particularly for children, but, but for us all as well, Absolutely. because we can all get infected by fear, mm-hmm. which is, is, is certainly not the best response to, to this. I always think of Padre Pio, who always used to say, pray, hope, and don't worry. Uh, and I must always be, I think our attitude. Uh, there may be any other things you could recommend that might be useful think, for families. Yeah, I mean, just one. I mean, one other important one again for the day is remembering grace at meal times, both before and after it. You don't need a set formula. You can say your own grace. But I think, particularly at this time when there's an issue about food and food in the shops, to be grateful for the food we have, and also to remember not to be too greedy. And be, you know, careful and responsible with what we buy and leave food for others. I think we've taken so many things for granted in our lives, both the things we have through faith, but also the fruits of the earth and food and the services we have. And maybe this is a moment for people to appreciate again these gifts that mustn't be taken for granted and to give thanks for them. And, and saying grace certainly does that. And I think for children, it, it can remind them that uh, that everything ultimately is a gift, and um, and it will av- and it will also help us to avoid that, as you say, that selfishness that maybe we're observing around us, even on a practical basis, when we go to the the shop or the supermarket, or we see on the news people uh, trying to hoard things or or stockpile things, uh, which isn't the spirit. That's um, the spirit of fear. Uh, and the spirit of of selfishness, which isn't the way of Christ. So there's a whole learning to go on, I think, for for children. And by saying grace, it can bring all that together. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think just the the one last thing as we go into this period of online mass, actually having had my first experience of that this morning, I was surprised how powerful it was. I just went to a church that was... um, relaying mass at 9 30 and it was an extraordinarily moving experience and i can see how getting the family to even gather around the table where you'd normally eat to to watch that mass and partake in that mass from a distance could actually help families to appreciate the mass the structure of the mass because you're studying it more than actually being there physically so that was just one last fact that factor i think is worth considering at this time and i think that's good that we keep our connection with the mass one of the things i feared as a parish priest is that during this time people being away from the regular practice the weekly and even daily practices of the mass they might drift and not not come back but i think if they're if they are still connecting themselves to the mass by even by this virtual way online or on the television, uh, making a, a spiritual connection, spiritual communion, I, I think the faith will remain strong and, and they'll come back uh, once this coronavirus has passed, which and maybe come back stronger and are more hungry for the Lord. Definitely, without a doubt. 
Well, thank you for speaking to us. And I, I hope we can chat again at a subsequent episode of Divinitas when we we'll talk about a variety of things. But I, I think that's very helpful for us today on this first day of being uh, of the, 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 the churches being locked down to the public. I really appreciate you, you talking to us today. Fantastic. And thank you very much for calling me and a great to share all these thoughts and really be, be strong in the faith. That's thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Let's talk about the act of spiritual communion. It's not a sacramental act like receiving Holy Communion itself, but it brings us very close to that and builds up our desire to receive Holy Communion fully and sacramentally. There are many people in the world who can't get to Mass easily, in far-flung places, in times of persecution. There are also people who don't receive it a particular Mass for all sorts of reasons, for not keeping the fast, not feeling ready, and they often make a spiritual act of communion. It's an expression of our desire to be united with Christ, even though we are at a distance from him spiritually or physically. In this time of the coronavirus, when there are no public masses at the moment, I think making a spiritual act of communion is an important part of the faithful Catholic spiritual life. Particularly, it can be done at the time of Mass itself. So in conjunction with watching a Mass on live stream or knowing the time when we would normally go to Mass, we can make this spiritual act of communion to unite ourselves with our Lord at that particular Mass. Many saints have sent their guardian angels to Mass so that they can be close to our Lord and made those acts of spiritual communion in that way. Many saints have made multiple acts of spiritual communion through the day uh, famously, Padre Pio used to, to encourage his uh, devotees, his spiritual children, to make these acts regularly throughout each day. The act of spiritual communion is very simple and can be made in our own words, but there is a formula that's often used that can be helpful, and this is one of the formulas. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. that brings us to the end of our first episode of Divinitas. I hope you've enjoyed listening and that you'll tune in again to these podcasts. I wish you and your families every blessing for this weekend. <laughs>